Welcome to another edition of Kids on the Pitch, the podcast that takes a look at, goes in depth, and we really get into soccer, uh, youth soccer, scholastic soccer in Western Pennsylvania and beyond. And today, uh, I'm very pleased to say we're going to have a very special guest, Libby Mascaro. We're going to talk about mental health awareness. It's such a very, very important topic. Um, before we get into that, though, and before I bring Libby on, just want to make sure that we give everybody a heads up in terms of Pittsburgh soccer now and our coverage of the WPIL boys and girls soccer uh, season is coming down to the wire. We're down in the last less than a week to go in the regular season. And the boys and girls will probably have, most of the teams probably have one, maybe two section games left. Some will play some non-section games, but everything will lead up to Wednesday, October 19th and the drawing for the playoff brackets, uh, really not necessarily a drawing, but the playoff bracket reveal one, all the teams that have clinched their playoff spots will know probably by Monday or Tuesday. But just as an FYI, we've um, with the scoreboard uh, on Pittsburgh soccer now with our daily scoreboard. So yesterday with our girls scoreboard, we did include all of the section title uh, winners uh, and or what the section title races are looking like heading into the final week. And we are also looking at the playoff projection. So there, which teams have clinched, which teams are still playing for those final playoff spots. It is all there on Pittsburgh soccer now. So be sure to check that out. And that's something very exciting. And then finally, um, before I bring on Libby, and I would definitely want to talk to her about this as well, because of her experience uh, playing at a very high level and, being from Mount Lebanon as well, uh, and to talk about Mia Buddha. Mia is, we've, uh, on Pittsburgh Soccer Now, I've interviewed her for uh, Pittsburgh Sports Live, done feature stories. Mia is a 16-year-old from Mount Lebanon who is part of the United States Youth Women's National Soccer Team that's competing in the World Cup in India. And that's been a very special story this week, and, and we did cover that. And actually, later today, uh, Pittsburgh Soccer Now's own Rachel Krieger will uh, will actually interview Mia again. So we're looking forward to sharing more of Mia and more of Mia Buddha. But she scored uh, the eighth and final goal of U.S.'s eight nothing win against India. So it's a very exciting development, and it's a, it's an example of a young player who was born and raised in the Pittsburgh area. And but found other uh, found ways to develop her game, go to a higher level. She played with her youth academy team was in at the internationals in Cleveland. And that was her path. And that is a path that led her to getting to play uh, with and getting uh, in the talent player pool for the United States uh, uh, youth program, youth um program now and now <clears throat> she's a one of the three captains on the u.s youth team that's playing in the under 17 world cup in india so very exciting so more to come on that uh in on pittsburgh soccer now look for something from rachel look for more from us in terms of covering the u17 women's world cup so we're very excited about that and mia's um mia's progress and her spectacular goal so make sure you check that out 
uh, in the report uh, in, and it's all over Twitter and at the highlight of the goal and some of her interviews have been posted too by U.S. Soccer. But uh, we're looking forward to covering Mia's, um, Mia's experience in India, which also she is, her dad was born in India. So it's, this is extra, extra special. She dedicated her goal to her grandfather, who uh, had recently had bypass surgery, couldn't be at the game in India, but her family did go. Um, so it's very exciting and we're very proud of Mia and we'll be definitely be following that closely. So that's something uh, that we're all excited about in Western Pennsylvania, uh, all the soccer followers and soccer fans in Western PA, definitely happy and excited about that. So look for more on Mia Buddha and the United States women's under 17 soccer team on Pittsburgh soccer now. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'm here with Libby Mascaro. Libby, uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast here. We're just so happy to have you. And I know you have a very special message to share today. Um, but yeah, we're just very, very happy to have you. I have a couple of things I wanted to ask you before we get into that uh, mental health awareness um, and your crusade, basically. Um, and, 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 and I'm, I just, everything you do, I, I just really, really appreciate and, um, I'm inspired by for sure. So we'll get into that, but anyway, welcome to the pod. Oh gosh, John, thank you so much. It's really, um, when I do stuff like this, it's really a privilege and an honor, um, to do this. And like you said, my crusade is really not for me. It's for everyone else who's suffering from a mental illness or a disorder. Um, so I'm very passionate about helping others in that regard. Absolutely. And I, I that's the main, not 100% reason why you're on, but I do want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, um, first of all, you are an experienced coach or you get into your, we'll get into your background um, as well. And you have kids playing in the high school game. So, so you're aware of what's going on in WPIL, but we're also aware, which uh, I've just talked about earlier in the podcast, but you're also aware of Mia Buddha's, um, her success and being from Mount Lebanon and having been part of the Riverhounds, um, some of the training, uh, academy training. Um, just talk briefly about Mia and her impact, the impact that she's, you know, what she's accomplishing right now and the type of player she is. So Mia is on an incredible journey. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting her and watching her train when I was on the coaching staff for the Riverhounds Development Academy a few years ago. I never had the privilege of actually coaching her, but certainly talked to her and her, her and her family and watched her train. Um, she's an anomaly. Um, you know, historically in Western Pennsylvania, there haven't been a whole lot of you know, crazy standout, this type of level players. And for, I mean, there are a few, don't, don't get me wrong, Tessa Della Rose and a couple others, but um, Mia Buddha is just a, is she's a, she's a treasure or she's a local treasure. And um, for her to be from Mount Lebanon is just incredible to put us on the map, um, watching her and her journey and her incredible, um, you know, love for the game, but also love for um, the folks that watch her and her family and the things that she's doing in India and making sure that those young Indian girls are being inspired by her and the, and the US seven or U 17 women's national team is just, she's a really special kid. 
She absolutely is. And I had a uh, pleasure to interview her uh, a number of months ago and just to see, you know, again, very composed, very well-spoken in terms, of, you know, just, and yesterday or after she's the game, she was interviewed. And I guess there were tons of reporters or English speaking, Indian speaking, and she just looks so calm and composed. She really did. And I think about my daughter. So I have a 13 year old and a 15 year old. And to think that, you know, just two years older than my 15 year old, that this young girl is playing internationally on such a, an enormous stage, you know, figuratively and, you know, realistically, it's just her poise and her composure and her maturity is next level. Absolutely. And that's a nice segue. You know, we're talking, we really are want to focus today talking about young people and how they can have the support that's there if they need it. Anybody who needs support in terms of mental health um, awareness. And, and as you talked about, you've been a crusader, you've been on the crusade, you know, in terms of, um, of this important topic. And maybe if you want to get into talk about your background, I know you you've already talked about Lebanon and your you know your pride of, of South Hills pride and mm-hmm. um, and you were part of that very special Mount Lebanon uh, soccer team in the 1990s that um, you know won the, the, the couple WPIL titles at WPIAA's as well as far as I, I remember. But um, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then maybe we can get into some of these uh, important topics. I, um, when you talk about being proud, uh, you know, uh, people joke, like, why, why do you always talk about high school soccer that was 30 years ago? And I cannot express enough the impact that my, the players that I played with and our coaches in the nineties, um, who really were the reasons why we were so successful. Um, in the nineties, I played in Mount Lebanon from 91 to 94, and we were self-proclaimed the dream team. Um, we had, we had just so much love for each other and we were such good teammates and we had an incredible motivator as a coach, uh, Tom Bloomling legend coach and uh, legendary coach in the Whippeal for years. Um, Ray Wagner, Wayne Capra, and uh, Ron Wilcher, all legends of soccer in, in Western Pennsylvania. Um, you know, our success was most certainly because we were good teammates and we loved each other and we wanted nothing to but to win, but it was for each other. Um, and what's awesome is Seth Young at Mount Lebanon has really done a great job with bringing that whole spirit back to Mount Lebanon's girl soccer. And I'm so proud to see that and to be friends with him and to see their success. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing we just celebrated was our th- the 30th anniversary of when we won the first ever Pennsylvania state championship um, back in 1992. And we had a little reunion a couple weeks ago. Um, and there were 17 girls on that roster and four coaches. And honestly, I could pick up the phone at any time and call them. Um, several of them are my best friends who I graduated with. Um, and there's just really something special about that. I cannot put it into words. I mean, I talk about it a lot. My husband, you know, teases me, my kids tease me, um, but it's just something really special. So um, when I coach now, I coach young female athletes. I coach kids who are born in girls who were born in 2009, U14 age group, and the impact that me and my other coaches can have on these young female athletes is so crucial. And we really don't understand how every single word that we say, every action that we do, they really live upon those words and actions. Um, And we are helping shape their decision-making and the choices that they make and how they live their life. And they're only 13 years old. 
Um, so when I think about that on a daily basis, and when I see my players three times a week, um, it's, it's important to me to make sure we're relaying that message to them. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's so critical. I coached at the high school and college level myself, and I had, there was a couple of times I've had experiences where, you know, I always tried to coach the players individually too, like always be attuned to try to be in tune, try, you try the best you can Absolutely. and having situations where, you know, where somebody just wasn't themselves or they just weren't into something. And, you know, I didn't learn about something they were going through until later. And I felt awful maybe about trying to be the coach of making sure that everybody's on the same page and we're all following the same rules. And, <clears throat> and the one player or, or so would maybe was a little seemed like they were a little distracted so it is if, if, if those check-ins or uh, just checking in with parents and just sometimes going that little extra uh, doing the little extra things can make a difference uh, as a coach can it so 100 uh, percent, and I have been inspired by a, a, a few different um, kind of like positive leadership folks John Gordon um, Lance Loya, who is a phenomenal, incredible, um, just in, inspiration for teaching coaches how to make sure that their players are good teammates. But as a coach, um, I've really learned sort of this, you know, approach to coaching with when you lead your players with love. And this can be anything. This can be an organization. I mean, my husband owns a construction company and his his dad who started it almost 40 years ago, really, truly wanted to have this culture of love. So he was the big boss, but it trickled down and he loved his, you know, executive staff, his executive staff loved their, you know, project managers. And it just trickles down all the way down to the folks who are coming into the, into the doors at nine o'clock at night to, you know, clean the floors. Every person in that organizational chart per se wanted to walk in those doors. So how did I, how do you do that with, with players? And honestly, it's been a consistent thing for me is leading with love, making sure that your players, your talent, your employees, your teachers, your staff know that you truly love them. And what does that mean? Love your players. That means, like you said, checking in with every single player when they walk in onto that onto that pitch, onto the turf, onto the field, whatever it is, whether it's a game, whether it's a practice, I make it, and so do my so do our all of our coaches. We make it a point to make sure that we are really checking in, dialing in, engaging with each of our players. Because um, not every player is the same. Not every player comes motivated. Not every player comes excited. They may have had a bad day. They may have gotten a fight with their mom on the way to the, on the way to school, you know, or on the way to practice. They may have missed an assignment. We we don't know that unless we check in. And that's the whole player. Yes, we're teaching them how to be better soccer players, but really we're teaching them how to be better people. That's really I mean, they're going to leave us at some point. My player, our players will leave our team at some point, but the impact that we have on them will hopefully be for a lot longer than that. Yeah. And I always wanted to make a point that if a player wasn't, you know, couldn't continue their, I wanted them to leave on their, on positive terms, no matter what the situation was, you know, I always felt like that was very, very important. Um, so you've been a crusader, as we've used the word crusader a couple of times already in the podcast, but you've been really an advocate for mental health awareness, 
um, and wanting to, you know, do what you can to support people that need need help. Um, I don't know if you want to get into a little bit more of the reasons of why. Um, talk about your background. So I love that word crusade, and you're the first person to, to use that word, but it's awesome and it's perfect. Um, I've used the word kind of like I catapulted myself into mental health awareness because um, my mom, who was a tremendous person, just the most loving mother, loving grandmother, um, she was a registered nurse, just super smart, beautiful, kind, just you can, you name it, she was it. Um, she suffered from a very, very serious mental illness for a long time. Um, and I say that she suffered most of her life, but the last, I'd say 15 years, certainly five years of her life were the most, um, tumultuous and the most, I say, filled with torment. Um, so she suffered from bipolar disorder in every way possible. And unfortunately on June 1st of 2013, after a very, very long battle, and she was very brave, very courageous. I mean, just every avenue she she tried, every mix of psychotropic drugs, every um, procedure, every um, hospital, every everything. Um, she She really, really tried. Um, so she ended her life by suicide in June of 2013. So it'll be 10 years next, next year. Um, but I always say, you know, when you talk about when someone dies, the first, most of the time, the first thing people say is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And that is wonderful and lovely. And I always say back to them, um, you know, please don't, I, I say, thank you. But then I say, please don't be sorry because she is really, truly better off. Um, her life was very hard and she was very, very sick. And I try to give the analogy of, you know, when folks have a physical illness um, and God rest his soul, my father-in-law, you know, was very sick and passed away, um, you know, from a physical disease. And when you lose someone like that or lose someone like I did to suicide, it's generally the same thing. You, they suffer so terribly but you want the same thing for them. You do not want them to suffer any more, one more minute. You want them to be free. And, you know, that's really what happened when she took her last breath. I said to my husband and my brother in the waiting room at St. Clair hospital, I said, thank God. And I was so happy for her because the torment was over. So when that happened, I literally, I think I called the next day and just, Googled NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Pittsburgh, and there, a number popped up and I called it and I left a message. They probably thought I was a little bit odd, but I said, you know, my mom just passed away. Um, we've dabbled a little bit in your resources, but I, I don't know what I can do, but I want to help. And that just literally shot me and my brother and several other people just into the sky as far as, you know, getting into mental health advocacy and awareness. So she's the reason why I do what I do, but it's, like I said, it's not about me. It is truly about anyone else who is suffering. And it's really others who are suffering. That's when you see that uh, you think about, well, what can we do now? Your mother suffered for a long time and what can you do now? And I think having an impact on young people and especially now, I mean, we're going through a very difficult time. Uh, I think COVID, um, everyone uses COVID as the excuse, but mental mm -hmm. health 
illnesses have been going on for as long as we've been around, but, but it, it, we know a lot more. Um, but, but at the same time, COVID certainly didn't help matters. And I think there's a lot of young people out there who are really struggling right now um, in that range. Or we both, you know, we have kids or we're around kids a lot um, that are in that age range, you know, in that 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, it starts to really, things start to get real. And, how, and, and I think kids, for some reason, are feeling the weight more often than others, uh, than, than maybe in the past. I don't know, but you know, there's a lot of factors involved and we could dissect that all we want. But the one thing Libby is that you've been at the forefront. And so after that happened, you've, you've been, a, you've been out there and you've been involved uh, with a number of organizations. I know you're involved with the upper St. Clair wellness committee. Um, and, uh, obviously as a coach, you're very involved as well. And, um, you know, there's, there's some other initiatives, um, and you, you really have gone out in the community and spoken about this and addressed this. And I think that's why having you on this podcast, I think hopefully can help break down some of these barriers that are out there. So families, parents can understand and learn more about, you know what, this is something where I, there are resources out there and I can get help. There are a lot of resources and just like with physical illnesses, there are also a lot of resources. However, for some reason, there's, you know, this sort of brick wall that keeps people from reaching out or keeps people from knowing where to go. And part of that, actually, I think it's 90% is the stigma that is surrounding mental illnesses and disorders. And we have worked, I mean, super, super hard. A lot of people, there are a lot of people working on this to eliminate the stigma. And it's really hard because it's not something tangible that we can hold on to and say, we need to remove this. You know, I, if you're diagnosed with a brain tumor, you know, or a spot on your, you know, your skin from melanoma, you can get it removed. This, this stigma of mental health is really hard to remove. But there are a lot of people working to try to help that. Um, one of the, like I mentioned before, the organization I work very closely with is NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, we have a chapter right here, which is actually the state chapter. Chapter, it's called um, NAMI Keystone, Pennsylvania. Um, another organization that I work, have worked a lot with is AFSP, which is the American Foundation on Suicide Prevention. There is also a local chapter here. Um, and... I really have moved into working specifically more locally. So, you know, really working with Upper St. Clair School District, the students and the community, the staff, um, because we are unfortunately in a mental health crisis. And I always put this disclaimer out, like I, I have no medical background. I am not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, anything, but I have raw personal experience, um, for many, many years. And I also have two teenage daughters. So, you know, one of which who struggled pretty hard, pretty, pretty, pretty tough with some, some of the issues during COVID she's doing much better now, but you know, last year, which was supposed to be somewhat more normal was really, really hard for her. And what we're seeing now, as I work with the um, school district here in upper St. Clair, a few years ago, myself and a couple other folks started this 
Upper St. Clair uh, Wellness Committee, which basically is our goal and mission is to really help, which used to be the students. And now it's the students and the staff, because what we're seeing is not yeah. only mental health crisis with our students in Upper St. Clair, but the staff is, it, some of the staff is struggling. Um, you know, some of them have, I just talked to someone the other day, they, they, they almost described it as PTSD because they, they, they were on like this path of like survival for so long that now they're kind of like, oh, this is what, nor wait, we're normal? What does that mean? And same with the kids. There's a lot of kids who are back to normal and they're totally great. And then there's some kids who are like, yeah, we're back to normal, but I don't even know what that is. So then they come to school and academically, you know, they're, they're working, but then they're stopping in their they're stopping at their teachers after in the hallway or in the classroom when everyone leaves and says, well, I'm really having these thoughts or I'm really struggling with this or, and the teacher who, you know, we have amazing teachers, yeah. you know, they, 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 they don't know what to do. Right. So we're working really hard with the district um, to make sure our kids are okay. That's, and that's the thing that as coaches, maybe, you know, coaches that are out there um, are probably having to deal with this too. They are. And I, I describe teachers and coaches sort of as front line workers um, because they are really seeing the, 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 I mean, they're, they are in front of these children every day mm -hmm. and so am I. And so are the other coaches on my team. And so are many, many other coaches, you know, these kids feel safe in this space. And I've learned something with teenage daughters, like if kids are acting out or maybe acting in a different way with you as your parent, as their parent or their coach or their teacher, it's most likely because they feel safe with you. So then how do we take it to the next level and help them? So if they're coming to us in this certain way, you know, we need to be able to have the resources to help them. So, I mean, I have them, I know them, I live and breathe them. So I have certain, I know what I can do for them, but um, a lot of our coaches and staff and, 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 and teachers just, just don't, but we're, we're working on it and we're helping them. And we have a lot of people doing work together to make sure that happens. I have a, I, I wonder, you know, I, I worked for, even before I, you know, in my current position at Children's Hospital, I worked at DePaul School for Hearing and Speech. And I remember one thing that was so important at DePaul that the teachers and the staff talked a lot about for young children with hearing loss was to be an advocate for themselves. How important is that? And I, I think from what I can see that some and from maybe from personal or some other experiences recently, I think kids are struggling in that area because you just made an interesting point. You said that um, when kids are in their safe space, they tend to act out. And it's interesting what when they get into these other unchart unsafe waters or whatever you want to call it they're in school and class in the hallway it, with their team in the locker room on the bus are they are they able to have are they struggling more now with, with this during this mental health crisis in advocating for themselves and being able to speak up is there some sort of extra anxiety there i i, I just feel like that's a thing right now i 100 percent agree with that and you know so those kids that aren't able to advocate for themselves. How do we teach them to do that? 
how do we support them to do that? And I, I honestly think one of the biggest issues is, and you know, I've I've spoken about these people several times. You know, there have been, I mean, I focus on these five. There have been five um, very young NCAA athletes who have ended their lives by suicide this year. And it's alarming. And Sarah Schultz from Wisconsin, she was a cross country runner. Katie Meyer was Stanford women's soccer goalkeeper. Right. Jaden Hill was a Northern Michigan track star. Robert Martin was a Binghamton men's lacrosse player. Um, and Laura Burnett, Lauren Burnett was James Madison women's softball. I mean, I say their names because um, I often think that the common denominator is we put so much pressure on these young kids to perform. And that is how they're being measured. It's performance. It's nothing else. It's, are you scoring goals? Are you saving goals? Are you getting the best time in your meets? Like there has to be another way that we're, that we're um, giving these kids accolades or support. It cannot just be on performance. And this goes from U9 travel soccer coaches who are just coaching to win. It's, it's the all, it's the win at all cost attitude that honestly goes all the way up to these intensely um, talented elite college athletes. Some of them, it's too much. And the performance driven measure, I think is a real big issue. It's interesting. And I, I hate to keep jumping around, but you and I probably can talk about our experiences in the late eighties, early nineties. And we can recollect, and you were talking about the dream team in Mount Lebanon, how you can pick up the phone and anybody that you feel like you feel comfortable, you could call and talk to them. And, and did you, you had a really positive experience. And I wonder about that. Um, you know, I, I just wonder about is that and you know, to reach the higher levels of sport is to have that balance. It, it is helpful to have that balance and the win at all cost mentality. It is something that just exists in sports today. I mean, it's just part of the, the sports culture and the landscape. So finding that balance, but at the end of the day, you and I, we're, what, what do we remember the most? I mean, yeah, we love to win. I wanted to win more than anything else. But at the end of the day, it's those relationships that we have with the people and the friendships and uh, the, just that part of it. And I had Rap Kolonkowski from Plum High School uh, soccer coach, and he and I were gone, go back to those days too. And, and that was what his, his exact um, sense, his exact statement was the same. And he just felt like it was all those friendships, all those relationships that he built. And I think that's an area where we want to, I think want to foster that. And I see some really great coaches out there that are encouraging that and, and, and leadership too at young people, young high school or middle school, or is you dealing with youth soccer? Um, there's some kids that step up and take leadership roles and, and they do make a difference for their teammates uh, as well. So, but it's hard. Like I said, that advocacy piece, I, it, it feels like less kids are stepping up nowadays. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? So I think that that's true a little bit. Um, I think that some kids are afraid to step up, step up and kind of take that like leadership. And I, I don't want to say bossy, but bossy role, like, you know, because they, they're afraid of that their teammates won't like them. And, you know, they'll be accused of being bossy and, you know, being whatever, whatever word it is. 
Um, I think it's our job as leaders and coaches and teachers to make sure that we're creating an environment that that doesn't exist, that it has to be an environment where, you know, people are able to step up and there's no ill will towards those people, but also teach them how to, to properly lead as a, as a young, as a young athlete. It's not easy, especially with girls. And I've always coached girls. Um, and certainly coaching right now, 13 year olds, you know, going on 14 year olds is interesting, but you have to be very intentional um, about establishing a certain type of, you know, set of, I call them standards or a culture um, and really make sure every player and every parent buys in to those values. And over the years, I've been with this team with a couple other coaches, incredible coaches, Ron Moreski and John, uh, Janelle Kasma. Um, you know, we've, we have a high set of standards and expectations for our players, but also our parents um, you know, there's certain things that they have to abide by and it's not about control. It's about creating an environment for these kids to thrive when they come to come to training and thrive when they leave training and get in the car and go to school and hang out with their friends. Um, I always say, I'm not the only one to say this, but like you mentioned, life is about relationships, whether it's your husband or wife, you know, your girlfriend, boyfriend, your friend, your circle of friends your relationships at work, your teammate relationships, your relationship with your neighbors. I mean, life is about relationships, period. And your happiness is thrives on relationships. And young female athletes who are not coached by so female coaches are less <laughs> in existence, which is just okay. It's fine. It's just, it's a fact. But right. young female athlete, athletes thrive on relationships and the relationship with their coach. I mean, they come to practice and my kids almost look to me like, okay, wh 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 when is she coming over to me to talk? I want to tell her about my science test. I can see it in their eyes. And they're mm -hmm. so excited when I take that one minute to pull them aside or just walk over when they're juggling and say, hey, Ella, um, you know, I know you said you had a science test, how to go or, you know, teaser or whatever, but mm -hmm. life is about relationships and we need to form these relationships in the formidable years and make sure these girls, like I said, are feeling safe and, and, um, loved. I keep saying that, but I'm telling you your players, if they love you, your teammates, if they love you, your, you know, talent, if they love you, your teachers, if, if they know you love them they will literally do anything for you and your teammates success. I'm sorry, your success as a, as a player on my team, our team is 100% dependent on the success of your teammates. If your teammates are unsuccessful and they're failing, you cannot be happy about that because it, it will affect your success. And I, we really try to make sure that our players know that and that my kids know that. Um, and that's one of the biggest messages I think for young, young athletes in general is, um, life is more just about scoring goals and, you know, we have to do a better job of watching what we measure in these kids. Is it everything that they do on the field, on the court, on the track, or is it a combination of that, but also what they're doing off of that, off of those surfaces? You also mentioned parents and the relationships. And I found that I was really in intrigued by your the way you talked about that. 
I always had a rule and we're both parents too. And I had a reminder in their twenties now, but I always had a rule where at least at the, right after the game, how are you, you know, it was more about their well-being. I didn't really care about the, I mean, of course I cared about what happened and I was happy they won or, or sad they lost or whatever, kind of went through the emotional ups and downs with them. But there was that car ride, the car ride piece to me was always don't, if you're the parent, don't initiate the conversation. If they want to talk about it, you're there for them. You talk about the game itself. And I know that a lot of parents over the years, all of us, we're all, we can be competitive or we want to see our kids succeed. And we want to say, oh, I think you should have did this or I think you should have did that. But advice for parents, at least that's my advice. I know I would love to hear your kind of maybe further input on that, how to, how to establish that um, rapport with with a child as a parent and supporting them and not necessarily letting, you know, the old saying, let the coaches coach, let the players play and let the parents support. Again, I have some history. I worked for Special Olympics. We had to have special um, um, spectator guidelines, things like that, because those athletes with intellectual disabilities sometimes would be confused if everyone was telling them what to do from the sidelines and the coaches. It was very important that the coaches had to role was to coach Mm -hmm. and it sounds so simple, but, and the parents just, you could support the child, but don't tell them what to do when they're um, in, you know, playing. So that's, that's just an example, but I just threw that out there, but anyway, I'm rambling, but the point (laughs) is, is that is I wanted to get your, your feedback on parents and their involvement and how can, how they can be most supportive for a young student athlete. So this is a loaded question, and I always talk to people about this because I'm in a, it's not just me, but I'm in a unique situation because I am a coach. You know, I coach a U14 girls academy team for Beadling, so pretty high level, national league, um, really, you know, great players. Um, But I also happen to be a parent. And when I approach, you know, our, our, my team, I, I I have my coach hat, but then I also have a parent hat. So I combine those two. And there are certain things that, you know, I see, I experience, I whatever that I really try to um, bring into the training sessions and with our parents. So I always tell parents, like, if there's an issue, I always say to them first, listen, I'm a mom first. Yes, I happen to be the coach of this team. So, yes, I'm the coach, but I just want you to know I'm the mom. I'm a mom first. I get it. I understand your, your daughter struggling or you're struggling with X, Y, Z. Listen, you have to understand that I get it. I'm living it. (laughs) So I think the biggest piece of advice I can give to coaches and parents. So other coaches is, is beginning of your season, no matter what level I would have a parent meeting and just discuss with them your expectations of them, you know, and some of the expectations we have for our parents are, you know, support what the coaches are doing and in training and telling your children. So if I, and my other coaches, if we are saying, you know, we're going to, you know, I don't know, play a four, four, three, and, you know, we're going to whatever. Um, and your daughter, we moved her from, you know, the 11 to the six and she's upset about it, but we've talked to her about it and we've decided we, you know, this is what we want her to do. And then she gets in the car and you say, well, why weren't you playing the 11? You were playing the six. Why did coach do that? Like we, 
that first initial conversation, the choices that we're making for the players, like we have to make sure that the parents are on the same page because if they get in the car and the first thing they say is that whatever we're doing as coaches is, is nullified. I mean, it's just, it's hard now, again, any situation can happen. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we have a, a very open line of communication, but, um, I just wish that parents would wait, like you said, and when they get in the car, it's the car ride home from trainings, from games. It's that initial, she opens the door, she sits in the back seat, in the front seat, she gets on her phone, she's snapping her friends, she's not saying anything. There's probably a reason why she's not saying anything. And it's probably a good spot for you to not say anything either. Other than, are you hungry? Right. Do you want to go to Starbucks? Do you, right. you know, whatever it is that these 13, 15 year olds. And I know, cause I have, oh, yeah. I have two. Wendy's was mine. Um, Wendy's was, was my, it? Uh, my go-to. Yeah. What, 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 what was Wendy's. it? I oh, said yeah. Wendy's. That was my go-to. I mean, yeah. Occasion, so you want to go to Wendy? Yeah. All right. Exactly. Fine. That was it. It's just really important. But the, the, other uh, the old happy days episode when, um, um, Rich, Richie Cunningham missed a big, free throw or basketball oh, shot gosh, and, at the so end, and, and the dad the dad sees him in the like in the court and it's dark after the game and he just says here's a lifesaver yep I, mean, life. I don't know it's just little things that you can do uh, that are distract you know that i think whatever you can do to lighten the moment absolutely. i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no it's fine but i was just going to say the other half of that is you know and it's it's just facts like where we are right now with you know, high level soccer with the ECNL and the girls Academy and the um, MLS next and elite yeah. 64, you know, all these elite leagues that we have now, you know, it's an issue. We all know it. We all talk about it. Bloggers, vloggers, Twitter folks, the soccer gods of the world. And, and there's, there's, there's an issue with soccer in America. It's this very money driven, ego driven, and I'm the first to say it. I'm not afraid to say it. It is an issue. And we're paying these very large amounts of money for our kids to play. So the pressure is real on the parents. They're dishing out tons of cash. Some of these people don't have the money to pay. So they're, you know, taking loans out. It happens. It's a fact to let their kids play. And, uh, it causes a lot of pressure from the parents so that you have this pressure of the money and then the, the parents' expectations are a certain way. The players' expectations are a certain way. And when those expectations aren't met, because I'll tell you, life is about relationships and expectations. If those expectations aren't met, we have a serious issue. Um, so I, I don't fault any parent who you know, wants to talk to the coach about playing time, wants to talk to the coach about X, Y, Z. I'd want to talk to him too, but it's your job as a coach, I feel, to have those meetings in the beginning and say, hey, our lines of communication are open at all times. I get where you're coming from, um, but these are our parameters. These are our expectations. And um, I think that's a really good thing to do anyway, um, all the time. I know for me, I've learned that. I didn't know that in the beginning of my coaching career. I've certainly learned that over the years. It just helps put everybody on the same page. Expectations are met. They're understood. Um, but it's a lot, it's, it's a lot of money. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, knocking any parent. It's just, there's two sides to it. It's the money, it's the money stuff. And it's also just making sure that, um, you're supporting your children and the coaches. 
And it's putting faith in the coaches and, and sometimes it's tough, you know, and I think that's, <laughs> that's, they, they want to get what they pay for type thing. And um, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Cause, and you know, you, you are with beadling, you know, I, I had some time with Arsenal. There's some really great programs out there now. Uh, it's very competitive. There's opportunities for people to go elsewhere um, you know, if they're not happy and, and, you know, that's not really good for the child. And so that's at the bottom line here. Most important thing is we're talking about the, 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 the student, the young child, I should say, I case student athlete, when I think about a scholastic, but, but really the young athlete, the young child, because they really are still a child and they're kids and they want to have, they want to play a sport because they love it and they enjoy it. And when that starts to go away, maybe all of this pressure um, can definitely add to it. And we all contribute to it in some way. Like Pittsburgh soccer now, we're, I, we do this because we love the sport. We love the game. We want to have fun. But we also report on it. We also embrace the winners and talk about the losers. And, and so it's part of this culture because we have more coverage now in a lot of aspects of society in terms of media everybody has their own access to their own social media and that, you know, we, you and I have, we've gone this far into the to podcast and we haven't talked about social media and how that affects you did mention, you know, uh, after a game, maybe uh, your, your daughter or someone, uh, a child sits in the car and they just want to jump in <laughs> their snaps and stuff. I mean, yeah. social media is definitely a factor, isn't it? Social media is, is enormous. Um, and one of the things I have been working with several other people in the district is, you know, social media is an issue. I don't, I think if you talk to a hundred parents in a room and ask them a question anonymous, anonymously, do you want to um, get rid of social media? I guarantee you 99 out of a hundred parents would say yes. And, but no one knows what to do. And I always say like, it's not good, you know, to have a ban because banning things never works. We need to have a plan, not a ban. What is that plan? Nobody has any idea. All we do know is the kids are spending a majority of their time on their phones, on social media. Um, but it also adds into the pressure of performing. And, you know, my daughter who is, a freshman plays on the 2007 girls Academy team at, at Beadling. I mean, she's feeling the pressure too, because people are tweeting stuff on their Twitter and tagging 7,000 different, you know, Twitter groups. And, you know, when should she, what should she be doing now? What shouldn't she should be doing? My eighth grader, you know, just started a Twitter account because she wants to play at collegiate level. Um, it's a lot of pressure. And you mentioned something about the younger kids and, I look at my coaching career and I often say like, I wish somebody would have pulled me aside and told me some of these things. And I, and, cause I, I tell them to young coaches now. And I used to run travel soccer program in upper St. Clair community with um, a bunch of other people. And I was on the board there. And I mean, the point of eight year olds playing travel soccer is 1000% to have fun and see their friends. They do not care. Of course they want to win. They do not care about anything else. They're coming back to practice because they love their coach and they love their friends, period. So 
this craziness of, and I'll tell you, I get text messages, emails, DMs every single week of people. Hey, Libby, you don't know me, but I got your name from so-and-so. I have an eight-year-old daughter who plays soccer, but we don't, she's really good. And we want to get into some private training. I'm like, Mm -hmm. first thing I say is no, Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you that information because your, your eight-year-old daughter should not be doing private training for soccer. She should be you know, trying underwater basket weaving. She should be riding horses. She should be playing soccer. She should be playing basketball. She should be doing dance. She should wrestle. I don't care, but I'm not giving you a name of a private trainer for your eight-year-old. Right. That's really yeah. one of the biggest issues too. Especially but it goes back to the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Because kids are starting to play at high levels. You know, Beadling has a 2014 team mm-hmm. playing in tournaments. So does every other club. But What's also happening is the too early of a specialization in, in one sport, which leads to injury, burnout. That's a whole other podcast, John. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You're right. A hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree. I agreed completely. And yeah, we're at that level where, you know, that, that balance piece is important. And like you said, all those other things besides soccer are there and they're on the table and they should have those opportunities. Um, but it's so easy to get to jump into that rabbit hole if you're a parent and you and the child sometimes too the child love of the game the love of you know you know I know we know I know my share of eight nine ten year olds especially boys for whatever reason you know we'll sit and watch we'll play FIFA all day long they will you know watch they'll they're into the Premier League they know every team yeah. and hey we were I was like that too with baseball or other sports too when I was young right but there there just has to be I I like even if you're really into sports play multiple sports get yourself give yourself those opportunities to to try different things and and the other piece of it is the relation you talked about the relationships opening up you know again if I think a young person can only benefit from being involved in multiple things because they get to meet different types of people and have a better sense of you know when they go into the real world i mean or even into bigger schools interacting with people of different backgrounds and um that sort of thing absolutely and i mean i the multiple sport thing i mean i'm a huge advocate i mean you and i i'm assuming we're the same age but like you know we played i played soccer in the fall in the winter it was basketball in the spring it was you know club soccer and maybe softball. Um, and we all, we all did fine. There was no year long commitments, specialization at 10 years old. Um, you know, the other thing we're seeing is, and I spend way too much time on this stuff. Um, I mean, cause I enjoy reading about it is playing. You've mentioned multiple sports, so multiple sports, but at the same time, one of the yeah. things that a lot of the experts say is not to play several sports at one time or play the same sport on several teams at the same time. Correct. And it's not because of a commitment that we don't think you're committed. It's more burnout. I mean, I have girls on my team right now who are, pl- who played um, middle school soccer, which I think is awesome playing with your friends, you know, whatever. Um, but so we train Monday, Tuesday, Thursdays, 
So by Thursday, like tonight at 6 p.m. when our training is, those girls will have had a training with their middle school, a training with me on Monday, a training with us on Tuesday, a training with their middle school. That's almost five or six or seven training sessions by Thursday at six o'clock for a 13-year-old girl. It is not healthy, period. It's a fact. These kids have their, their, their ratio of load and volume versus rest and recovery is completely out of balance. So we're seeing injury. We're seeing burnout. We're seeing, and when I say injury, I don't mean just a sprained ankle. I'm meaning like pulled hamstrings. You know, um, there were, I think, nine torn ACLs in Beadling since March in the, on the girls Academy teams, nine crazy. Um, so again, that's a whole other podcast as well. I'm I'm like all into that stuff too, having two teenage daughters and ACL prevention, injury prevention, but, um, we just got to make sure that we're taking care of the kids, that it's more when we walk into those training sessions, it is, yes, it's about their performance, but it has to be about other things too. We have to, we have to. And at the end of the day, this all adds up to the pressures that we're talking about and the additional things that bring on sometimes mental health issues for a lot of young people and for all of us as parents, the parents, the teachers, the, the entire, the, the coaches, uh, and even the administrators and people that are running things, they're getting, they're getting the brunt of a lot of issues and school district, um, you know, school districts are under so much pressure right now. And, they, they, they're really trying to keep up with everything. And I, you know, I'm in the hospital side. It's the same thing. Hospitals are struggling too, because there just aren't as many resources for young people. They're to, we're all trying, everybody's trying to keep up and create more resources. Um, so, but Libby, I, again, I, your insights, your, your, everything you've talked about, um, I think you, you, what you're doing is inspiring. And I think I would encourage anyone um, to continue uh, to look at, find resources like you have, um, but also what advice can you give to anyone who maybe just in general having, uh, dealing with these, these situations? Um, what's, because of maybe the resources being an issue right now, you know, somebody mm-hmm. could say, well, I went to here and my child could use help, but the school doesn't have enough resources or even from a, a medical, a clinical side of it. Um, people, you talked about people running into walls earlier in the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. How do you, how do people break down those barriers and those walls or what, what, what can be done? So if I, I, like I said, I get weekly emails, texts, phone calls, questions about helping someone and you know, what can, what, what can we do to help? And I tend to give them, well, first thing is there's always crisis hotline, um, suicide crisis hotline, um, mental health crisis hotline, which, um, you know, is always available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you know, we just passed the, um, nine, eight, eight pound, nine, eight, eight option, you know, instead of being nine, one, one is nine, eight, eight. And that directly will take you to a suicide prevention, mental health uh, crisis hotline. Um, I tell folks, honestly, if, if if you're experiencing something or you have a family member who's experiencing something and you're reaching out to me for help, 
it's probably pretty um, serious and there's nothing wrong with making that phone call because then they will say, you know, X, Y, Z, this is what you need. You know, they're not going to say, oh, well, you mean you're not suicidal right at this minute? That's not what this is about. They can help you navigate it, you know, the next step. I also tell people to um, reach out locally to NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, their website is very, very easy to navigate, and there are a ton of resources there. They have a great section where it lists support groups. You type in your zip code, up pops meetings. Um, they have a list of ways to help if you're a caregiver, if you have um, someone who's suffering, or if you are suffering. Um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention website, same thing. Very easy to navigate, very specific instructions. Um, you know, we are struggling in general with resources, meaning the number of psychologists, counselors, psychiatrists, the numbers are just low. Right. People out people are not going to school enough in numbers enough to become psychiatrists, counselors. However, I'm working with an incredible group of people in 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 Pittsburgh um who we are working really hard on developing a system, probably hopefully a curriculum where we're incentive and in making incentives for folks to go into the into that field. Um, because what's really the issue is the lacking of numbers of providers. So right now, if you were to call, unfortunately, probably any local counseling um, organization, they would probably put you on a wait list. But there are other options. You can do telehealth. I have a friend who's been seeing um, their daughter's been doing telehealth for a year, and it has been absolutely incredible, life changing. Um, so the resources are there. It's just taking that first step. And then if it happens to be hitting pound 988, so be it. You would call 911 if you were having a heart attack. Right. You're, you would call 911 if your daughter, your son, your husband, your friend was having a heart attack. We need to normalize calling, texting um, people in those situations and calling 911 or 988 for folks who are in mental health crises. It's the same thing. And I think that's a great way to cap this podcast Libby and I, I just I can't thank you enough I just really appreciate this is it is mental health awareness month and we uh Pittsburgh soccer now uh, we're heading into playoffs and there's just so much going on and everyone's you know for for high school soccer playoffs get the river hounds in the mm -hmm. playoffs the college game there's so much yeah. going on and there's you know and it's a I like to try to hone in on the excitement and the positives of it all um, win, lose or draw for everyone. But, but that's not going to be without pressure and people are certainly going to feel pressure. So, but at least maybe hopefully we spend a little bit of time today talking about this and some people can hear this and listen and, and listen to your story and learn and also listen to both of us go back and forth a little bit about some of these things and um, and understand that they, they can get help and there, there are resources out there. Um, again, thanks so much. And what I will do is post um, both uh, NAMI and ASP um, information uh, with the post that goes with this um, podcast on Pittsburgh Soccer Now. And uh, we'll just continue to fight the fight. And Libby, you're an inspiration. Thank you. Um, and I appreciate everything uh, that you've provided uh, today in this podcast.
Well, thanks, John, for all you do for soccer in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania. Um, and obviously, I'm very, like I said in the beginning, it's it's truly is a privilege to um, do this kind of stuff. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Anytime. And hopefully we'll have you back on uh, again. Awesome. Thanks, John. All right. Take care.